0: So I'm calling this very first episode of the More Than This podcast, The Witch in the Room. For me, when I think about like how do I introduce myself in this podcast, I kind of had an informal podcast uh, because the Keeping Your Keys book and blog became quite well known in, you know, the witch world. And so people were emailing me, asking me for videos and and so on and podcasts. So I I informally made one, but I knew about nine months ago that I wanted to launch a podcast discussing the things that really matter to me because my work seems to resonate with people. Um, And I wanted this podcast to be more truth telling, less showmanship. I wanted it to be real. I love podcasts. I listen to so many podcasts. And when I look around the podcast terrain and see what I think is missing, I think it's this really meaningful discussion about how hard life is and that it's okay. Like life is designed to be unfair. Life is not about simplicity sometimes it's not about glamour it's not about fakeness you know like I'm here to get into the mess of life one of my favorite quotes comes from the great depth psychologist James Hillman who wrote about finding the myth in the mess of life and I really think that's what more than this is about and for me my myth in the mess what means so much to me because mythology is a source of meaning mythology connects us to the deeper world for me the myth that's right in my mess when i dig down through all the shit of my life all the complications all the betrayals all the loss all the disease and disruption and everything else when i dig it for me that gold focuses around the archetype of the witch and i'm a you know i'm a phd trained uh, applied social psychologist there is a discongruency between this deep identification with the archetype of the witch and the other thing that i find so much gold in which is being an applied social psychologist i love it i love exploring the world through this lens and seeing patterns finding meaning and offering psychoeducational strategies that help people live a better life i love this crossroads of the deeper world and modern life that i occupy and i want to get really real here you know in the Keeping her keys book, I write about the three key principles or values as being passion, kindness, and integrity. And in my school, which is known as the Covina Institute, we say we're going to PKI it. And I'm bringing the PKI to this very first episode of More Than This, because we just need, I, we just need to be so real about the witch in the room and i want to be real about what being the witch in the room has meant for me because this has been like the thing in my life when i kind of like you know uh slough off betrayal slough off you know joy from relationships slough off accomplishments in my career slough off all these things You know what underneath of that all is this lifelong identification with the archetype of the witch that i've had since I was a very, very small child. This is not an easy archetype to identify with well I don't think any of the archetypes like mother daughter. um, mystic teacher any of the archetypes are necessarily easy to identify with, but I think the archetype of the witch especially now in our modern society is so it's always been super complicated. And
1: these days it's even more complicated. And because of my chosen profession, being
0: able to be open about being a witch, because that word thrums and hums, it makes my blood flow in the way like that being mother does um but perhaps even more profoundly more at the soul structure level than even mother because i became a mother but i feel like being a witch is somehow in my dna i don't know how it got into my genetic code i don't come from a particularly witchy family i would say my mother and my sister are highly intuitive really dialed in and i would say they're amazing manifestors but certainly my mother would never ever uh identify herself as a witch to her although she's gotten better in recent years since my uh, new career being out of the broom closet as a witch has uh, flourished she's gotten better with this but to her because of her religious beliefs she's really seen the witch is evil, you know that the witch is the devil's consort, that the witch is sinful and lustful and wrong. And having a daughter that identified as such from a really early age, I was always the peculiar little girl playing with stones and plants living in an imaginal world in the woods, uh you know, nose in books always fascinated by mythology, comparative religion, spirituality, theology, and psychology. And of course, fiction, I was so foreign to her, you know, I was from a completely different culture than my family being um, ardent Pentecostals. So I didn't get my witchiness necessarily from my mom and for me growing up in that environment drove my feeling about the archetype of the witch deep 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 into my interior world she was always there deep within me but i never felt that i could express her and even in private when i was expressing her you know, arranging my little objects on my bureau as a child with my rocks and sticks and so on, arranging these little things. Even as a small child that was labeled as unacceptable and weird. And you know, I felt like a freak, right, right from the get go, I was like, Oh, Cindy's a freak. And, you know, when I was considering, what do I want to talk about in the first episode of the podcast? I really want to talk about this i want to talk about this deep internalized othering i experienced from a very early age like i don't have memories where i felt unothered. i don't have memories of being accepted um you know i can look at glimpses and i've spent the last two years like doing a, a a memory archaeological exploration of looking for really positive early memories and there are some experiences there definitely that were positive but for me there was always this thread of not being accepted I wasn't accepted in my family of origin although they love me it was never a lack of love it was you know it's like in the Christians you'll sometimes hear people who say they're Christians say you know um love the sinner hate the sin that is basically like my life story because i identified as the witch i was interested in psychology the interior world Um, and all of these things in my family of origin are considered foreign inappropriate and even sinful so right from the get-go this is you know i was the sinner being loved but that sins which were my natural inclinations were hated i mean let's just be clear and you know i'm not into blaming anybody i'm into just saying like in the sense of pkiing it passion kindness and integrity to be to have integrity and kindness for me to do this work to write my books teach the courses do this podcast I just need to be clear this is where i come from i hold no resentment most of the time sometimes it gets the best of me let's be honest you know resentment and the shame that comes from it are things that we heal and that we can work on Uh, and my next book that's coming out in the fall of 2021 which is called entering hecate's cave the journey through darkness to wholeness i tackle that like i tackle shame uh, invalidation trauma recovery and so on i think we need to say where we're coming from we need to not have shame about the background that we have and we need to be constantly engaged in bringing all of these things into consciousness for me so we're on the eve of the beginning of the new ritual cycle in my school so i want to just sidestep a little bit here and explain uh the time of year it is so this is the beginning of november november is my favorite month i have a scorpio ascendant for those who might be into astrology i love ritual i love exploring the depths I love the signatures of the illuminated Scorpio archetype. Of course, the shadowy Scorpio archetype can cause us lots of trouble. And certainly, if you look at my sexual history, you see a lot of shadow Scorpio there. Um, For me, recording this episode at this time of the year, in the period between S-A-M-H-I-H a-i-n at s-a-m-h-a-i-n and uh which i mean you may know as halloween which is fine recording it around this time which is so calendar Samhain halloween is the 31st as you know and then there's the astrological Sowen, which happens when the sun is at 15 degrees of Samhain in my school we start the spiritual new year at this time of the year we do the first ritual on the new moon that is closest to the astrological Samhain and this is a ritual of catharsis so I knew I wanted to record the first episode of the podcast on the eve of this ritual and I knew I wanted to just get really real about the witch in the room and what it's meant to me to be the witch in the room. And there's two kind of levels to this, right? It's the witch in the room when we're all by ourselves. And we're into the beauty of the archetype, you know, we're with our herbs, we're blending an infusion, perhaps we're weaving cords together to make a talisman, or drawing a sigil, or painting, or working with clay, or just sitting quietly with a candle. When the we're the witch in the room and all is right in our little world. It's so beautiful. It's so healing. It is the best. Uh, we recently did uh, bath bombs, I write about bath bombs in entering Hecate's garden. And we did those last week in the school. And all day I had this big tray of all the supplies for the bath bombs ready. And all day I was like, this is so amazing. I just want to look at the tray. I don't want to do the worky things. I just want to look at this beautiful tray and be excited because we're all going to be the witches in the room. And, you know, talking about the mythology behind the name of Aster, which is the plant uh, that we focused on for this bit of herbalism we were doing you know aster it means star at the aster flower is associated with self love and love and you know the celestial and it's you know can be connected to both the goddess Asteria and astrea goddess Asteria of course is the mother of Hecate she's the personification of the stars and astrea's tears When she was so bereft about what Zeus had done to humanity, they fell to the earth and created the beautiful purple, yellow, white, so many varieties of asters. You can learn more about them in entering Hecate's garden. You know, and I was just so excited that we, that, that witch in the room, that side of me where I just got to be all of me in a group of people that I that I implicitly trust, and that trust me to be their teacher, amazing, absolutely the best, or when I'm out in nature, and just connecting to the world, and seeing the depths within the plants and the animals, where I live, I get to do this every day to be with the ocean, all of this, being the witch in that room. When I'm in those rooms, the rooms that are welcoming and that have an energetic attunement to what is in the center of my being, those spaces are the best. And, you know, there's no need, if it's risky for you to come out of the closet, we call it the broom closet. Uh, if if it's risky for you to come out of the broom closet, don't do it. But inhabit those spaces well however you express it you know i know i understand why some people have um adapted witchcraft or wicca as a religious framework like i get it um because it does kind of potentially offer certain cultural and perhaps legal uh safety nets around it But for me, I have, I will
1: never get over my early religious experiences.
0: And I say that I won't get over those religious experiences because they are a lens through which I see everything about religion. You know, I've done a lot of work. I understand my biases against organized religion. Based on my very distressing um, origins, being raised in the Pentecostal church and feeling like I just didn't belong. Nothing against Jesus at all. But the dogma, the stricture, the way women were confined, the way personal expression was confined. It was just it was never for me. I never bought into it. I still think it's beautiful. And if I'm in my hometown and my mom wants to go to church, I'm happy to go to the Pentecostal church. Love the songs. Um, love just the joy that can come with the Pentecostal church. But all of the bullshit dogma, like I just, no. So I don't like religion. Sometimes people say, you know, that I am founded a new tradition. I really reject that as well. Um, you know, I offer what works for me what i've researched what i know can be effective again using that academic researcher scientist hat that i've worn so long you know i analyze observe study teach what works um drawing from my training you know i don't just like pie in the sky offer things because even just because they work for me personally. You know, I have my school, I have my students, I have my followers and readers, and I listen to what y'all say. And if I can see that something isn't working, I adapt it. I, if I see that you need more, I give you more. You know, I am always the researcher, always the one studying what I put out in the world to see what's working and what's not working. But a religion? No, I didn't found a religion. I didn't found a tradition. I found it, I think, a way of being a set of principles in terms of PKI that might work for you, might not, add your own. Um, You know, like there's a structure, a system. I think of it as a system. Here's a system we draw from great psychoeducational and personal development practices. We draw from mythology, History, folklore, plant medicines, personal experiences, esoteric teaching, all kinds of comparative religion. We draw all these things together. You know, like my rituals, the three rituals I teach over the course of a year because I think rituals are serious business when we do them intentionally. Of course, we're having spontaneous rituals almost like every breath we take. But I think that we need to take our time with this. So I base the rituals on, um, I think the key ideas from the ancient rituals at Eleusis, but you also see the rituals, repeated across cultures and across time, you know, the three basic components are release of burdens, catharsis, the second component is soul retrieval, calling back what we've lost along the way, and then the final component is rebirth. And then we have a kind of a celebration of all the goddesses in the summer, because the goddesses are awesome. But I teach these three rituals inspired by this cycle, because the cycle is universal. And because I've studied it across cultures and times, I've been studying these things, you know, for 30 years now, I've always been fascinated as much as I inhabit the archetype of the witch in a very specific way. I also inhabit the mythology of Persephone and Hecate, that those myths are part of my fiber, you know, they're woven right into me Artemis, these myths around this are so key to me, even my name, Cynthia, although my mom wasn't aware of it is actually um, a title for Artemis and or Hecate, it's hard to separate the two of them in the mythology, in a lot of instances and in their historical cult practices so you know I, these things are woven into me my name cynthia my mother kintos is the greek my mother had no idea what it meant she was going to call me something else until the last minute all of a sudden she changed her mind and picked cynthia you know there are something deeper at at work when she did that right she, We are more than this. Even our names show us that we are more than just the everyday, the mundane. There is an element of mystery that is present in all of us, and we need to shift the gaze so that we can see it, right? We just need to see it, allow it. It's there. The world is enchanted. Our lives are demonstrations of the classical myths and fairy tales. We are always into this deeper web, this wheel of time that is unending. the Greeks called it kairos k a i r o s that we're part of something so much more than the linear, we are part of the kairos. We are both kairos and chronos, which is chronological time. And then I come back through all of this, you know, I teach meditation, I teach ritual, I teach psychology, how to apply these things to your everyday life. And then I I'm here with the deeper world where intuition and dreams, synchronicities and natural magic and astrology, all of these things are so inherent to my own experience. And I believe they offer so much value for us to have a rich, rich life. You know, if we spent more time talking about our dreams to other people than about mundane things, about gossip, could you imagine if all of a sudden there was a cultural switch flipped and instead of talking about other people, we talked about our dreams. It would be revolutionary. Think of how just the whole global energy field would shift. Um, But dreams, you know, in some circles, people think talking about dreams is peculiar. People think we're supposed to avoid nightmares. Nightmares, of course, are there to teach us. And then we'll keep having them until we say, okay, nightmare, what do you got for me to learn? I need to unpack this. We medicate away sleep we deny sleep. And here we have this experience of the deeper world every night. And it's like we're doing the most we possibly can on a societal level to deny and rob that. Even when you look at sleep studies, and how the sleep research, you know, talks about dreams, kind of in contrast to what Jungian and depth psychology say about dreams. It's like, we need the dream. There is so much there we need sleep, and we need to be in that deeper world. And like I said, you know, talking about dreams can be perceived as really weird. And so this loops us back to being the witch in the room when the room is a hostile space. And I feel that in my life, I have spent way too much time in rooms
1: that are hostile to what breathes life into me and this has led to a deeply internalized self-loathing
0: I have gone through so many periods in my life where I've got mad at archetype of the witch and been really furious you know saying like i just want to remove this i want to remove my innate mystical intuitive witchy magical natural healing plant medicine dirt loving mythology fan i want to remove all of this from my life because it's complicated i just want to be normal Maybe you can relate to this. I have had, I've broken up with the mystical so many times in my life. Like I couldn't even count, you know, I would get all of my books and all of my crystals and my herbs and everything and like donate them, give them to people, which is in need if you want, um, just because it's like, you know what? I am like a, a doctoral level, fancy pants, applied social psychologist with a great career and there is all the world of separation between the things that give me interior oxygen um, and what I do for a living it's caused so much trouble you know I have tried to navigate it I remember when I first started teaching meditation classes a long time ago talking to my boss, who was the VP of research at the Children and Women's Hospital, because I was a research director there. And he looked at me, and he said, you've got to stop this, you've got to shut down your website, it's too woo woo. And me just being like a puddle of emotion. You know, literally, I was like, used Kleenex, you know, in that moment, like I was just like, but I, but this, but this doesn't conflict with my contract at the hospital. And I felt like saying, but there's so much more. I'm teaching meditation, and what is like pushing to come out of me is so much more than, you know, teaching nice meditation classes to school teachers. And even that little foray, you know, was seen as too woo woo. And eventually, life happened. I got really sick. With a chronic uh, condition that I live with to this day. Because let's talk about that too, because there's so much, I have so much internalized self loathing about having celiac disease and things associated with it. Honestly, you know, it's like, let's just talk about these things. Let's just allow the things that want life to be spoken of because the longer we keep them locked up in little boxes is they will continue to control us they want to cohabit with us they don't want to own us but it's up to us to, co- to you know to say okay i'll be in dialogue with this chronic disease i don't even like the word chronic disease i like i have an autoimmune response to gluten that is a fact what we call it beyond that like how may or may not be helpful again given what room we're in. If I'm in a medical, an allopathic medical room, calling it celiac disease makes sense. In my everyday life, when I'm doing my thing, I mean, the label celiac disease doesn't make any sense, because unless I know what that means, it's not helpful, you know. Um, so all of these hostile rooms I've been in, and I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened just last week. So my oldest son, who is so amazing. He has been on a cancer journey for all of 2021. Now, before I get into the details of the story, I wanted to just say he's fine. He had uh, a nephrectomy, which is a part of his kidney taken out. He's doing good, okay, so he's good. But uh, it's kind of a big deal because young men don't get the type of cancer that he had. So there's a whole lot around genetics and having to go into our ancestors and our family tree and there's some gaps in our family tree and there's so much shame. I call the family tree the shame tree. We gotta shake it and we have to shake it through all this genetic stuff. Anyway, so we have to go for these uh, CT scans every few months to make sure the cancer is not coming back. So we're sitting in um, like the, the cancer CT scan waiting area he's already gone in for a scan. And it's me and two other women in this little waiting room, because it's like a specialized place, right. So um, we're talking and we're talking about like this, the solution they have to take before they get these scans, which is a disgusting solution for sure. And it's Poison. So we were talking a little bit about that, the three of us. So there was one woman who I would say was very kind of traditional, and the other woman, you know, we were just kind of bantering back and forth, and it was really lovely. And she says something about just all the experience of everything they have to go through. And I said, Yeah, I, sometimes I feel like as the caregivers, we need to like have our own. Really foul tasting thing that we drink, like in solidarity with them. And she laughed. She's like, Yeah. Like, I said, if the caregivers had their own special horrible drink, like our own potion that we had to drink. Um, and she said, Oh, communion wine, old communion wine would be the perfect thing. Because let me tell you, and I know old communion wine tastes terrible. I drink it every day. And I laughed and I was like, You're right, communion wine is nasty. Um, and then the other woman who was more traditional was kind of like, This is a weird conversation. You could see it on her face. And so the woman who said about the communion wine, she could feel the discomfort from this other woman. So the so when we're sitting in those little plexiglass boxes that they put you in, you know, you got the chair, but then it's plexiglass on three sides, so you don't contaminate each other because COVID. Um so this woman who i had been talking to she she comes over and she leans in close to me, so you know personal space was not her concern, but it was fine, I mean and she whispers she goes i'm an Anglican priest, so if you're not Canadian Anglican is uh, the, basically the Canadian version of Episcopalian or Church of England. Um, and i would, I looked, I said, "Oh, that's really cool. So you do know about communion wine." And we both laughed, and then she went back to her seat, which was on the same side as, let's call her more traditional woman. Not judging her, just kind of giving you a context. Um so we continue to talk, and then we say something about, we're just talking about like the cancer journeys of the ones that we're there for. And so I said something, you know, like, without saying that it was my son, I said, Well, my guy, he, you know, he had kidney cancer, he's a really young man, it was a big deal. But he had the operation in May, he's recovering. You know, it's a long recovery process. It's, you know, he's got like six big incisions in his torso. It's a, you know, so, so we were just kind of talking back and forth. And she said, oh, that's too bad about your husband. And, like, I was just like, that's my son. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, in all honesty, this is something that happens a lot. Um, Just because he has complex chronic health conditions well beyond the kidney cancer. So we're in the healthcare world a lot. And there is this bias out there about maybe, you know, like the nature of a relationship between two adults. um. And I said, she goes, well, you, you look so young. There's no way he can be your son. You must've been a child when you had him. And again, it's just her auto response, right? Like no judgment. That's an auto response. I've heard it so many times, so many times because we're always in healthcare land because of his chronic conditions. So I said, well, I wasn't that young, but yes, I was young. And then it's always like, well, you got to tell me your secret of why you look so good. And I'm just sitting there thinking like hair dye. Moisturizer genetics, um, but it's like, I was just thinking about that this weird conversation, because on one hand, this woman, lovely, lovely woman felt completely safe in confining in me that she was an Anglican priest but not saying it in front of more traditional woman. And at the same time, I wasn't going to like return it to her and say, oh yeah, I'm a psychologist and a witch and spirituality is everything to me. And I think it's so amazing that we're sharing this. So space, the same space now, and, you know, maybe we can get to know each other a little bit. I didn't feel comfortable saying that I just, you know, basically said, that's cool and she didn't feel comfortable kind of announcing it in front of more traditional women and then this whole thing about the bias about the nature of my relationship i thought this is just like everything you need to know about those rooms that you go into when you at the center of your being there is something that breathes that means you always kind of occupy the margins that you're never going to be part of the mainstream or what we think is the mainstream and i've been thinking about that it's been like a week and i've been thinking about that ever since it's like why didn't i why wasn't my automatic response to say that to say oh yeah i'm a psychologist and a witch i love spirituality i love talking about spirituality with other spiritual people so it's really cool that we just it's a nice synchronicity and then also thinking about more traditional woman's kind of biases in the room as well and you know there's so many juxtapositions there's so much richness in this room right that i was in i didn't feel comfortable my automatic response wasn't to say who I truly was, even though this other woman implicitly and intuitively trusted me with her truth. And then there was kind of the hostility in the room, right? You see this? There's So even when there's like love and acceptance and you know there is that kind of agape, A-G-A-P-E, in the room that we don't feel safe, I don't feel safe. And then when there is hostility in the room, I certainly get very defensive. And for me, identifying as I do with uh, the archetype of the witch and as a psychologist, I'm always like in these spaces where there is hostility and there is acceptance. And most of the time it is somewhere in between, you know? I have experiences like where I live in the world's a beautiful place many wonderful accepting people. But why even do I have to be accepted, you know, if I was a plumber, no one would say, Oh, well, I accept that he is a plumber, or it wouldn't have to be tolerated, you know, so it's a I like where I live, but I really missed having a community of more like minded people. Where I could just like leave my house and not feel like certain neighbors are like glaring out of the windows at me because, you know, they think I'm a devil worshiper. FYI, if you think my version, where I inhabit the archetype of the witch, has anything to do with devil worship or summoning demons, the answer is hell no. It's natural, it's ritual, it's meditation, it's herbalism. Symbolism has nothing to do with devil worship or any of that business and if y'all think you know I have something against Christians, I certainly don't. I know many beautiful wonderful Christians, I have a lot against the dogma of the Christian denominations, but that's not about individuals. You know individuals within that structure within that institution can be really wonderful. And you know it's like this space of always being on this continuum and having to do that rapid evaluation of the level of bias coming at me in in most situations. You know, cannot how safe can I be here to actually like operate from soul? What persona, like what outfit, do I have to put on to be acceptable? in this space that I'm in. And it's been so central to my journey. Um, I was
1: offered a business partnership recently. I was offered this partnership, like I said, this business partnership,
0: which on the surface seemed like a good idea, it would be a way to get some marketing um for my work and i really appreciated it came from a lovely person and as i thought about it i was like why does this feel icky and wrong to me and then i landed on the idea that it doesn't serve my work it's potentially more me being like oh I need to get mainstream acceptance I need to dial back I call call it dial back my darkness I need to dial back my darkness not fly so high um and no and I'm like no it's not for me yes that would be lovely it wouldn't bring the right people to my work because the right people for my work I really believe are those who are like yeah I identify with something deeper whether it's witch, mystic,
1: um, the seer, there's something within you that
0: thrums and has this energetic life of its own that lives within you. Whatever it is, it's about being someone who goes to the deeper world, astrology, herbalism going in deeper to these things, meditation, like what, that's the people, that's my people. It's not necessarily people who, you know, want to look um, to me to teach them how to develop, uh, you know, a successful spiritual enterprise. I'm not, I don't think those are my people. And I did this interview in the summer uh, with, a business platform where I talked about, you know, like the the whole thing of running a spiritual organization that is not a religion, you know, that is an enter a true enterprise. And it was really good. But at the same time, I was like, what, like, what is what does this serve? Now, it's a really great friend who uh, is involved in this. So that's why I did it you know, and the other thing is around this time of the year, I don't do any media, I don't do interviews, because there is a lot of attention that gets pulled towards the archetype of the witch, witchcraft, magic, Wicca, so on this time of the year, the deeper world, ghosts, spirits, etc. And I think that's cool and great. I'm not judging any of it. But for me, I am here all the days of the year doing really deep work and trying from the vast well of the witch as healer um, and not as witch as a commercial product. I, you know, I try to keep it real, R-E-A-L, um, and I call my work the real work uh, because if this resonates with you, if when you say the word witch, there is a quickening of the pulse, And if to you, it's about a journey to wholeness, it's not about fame or glory or getting money, or any of course we need money, but it's not about like, it's not a greedy ego, thing. it's a deep thing about something really precious to you that you love. And that loves you back. If that's who you are, then you know, you're my kind of witch. there's so many ways that the archetype of the witch gets expressed. Same with any archetype. Look at the ways mother as an archetype gets expressed. I'm not concerned about uh, those other expressions. You know, I really just want to own my own lane. I want to occupy the beautiful rooms as much as possible. And I'm inviting you all in to this conversation with me. I love hearing from you. You can connect. With me give me your feedback i'm going to be answering your questions in f- future episodes the email to connect is info I n f o at keeping send me your questions and indeed uh, it was a question that came from a reader about how to come out of the broom closet that inspired and just kind of like corresponded to this episode so our very first reader
1: question is how do you come out of the broom closet okay so this segment of the more than this podcast
0: is what i call hecate's help desk Um, And we're going to be answering questions in every episode. So let's dive into this question. I'm going to read it. Do you have any advice on how to come out to someone that you are a witch? I'm beginning to meet a new person and I'm at a loss at how to tell them. And this is about a dating profile. So she says, it's not on my dating profile. As I discovered that stating this led to some very weird replies and me feeling fetishized thanking you in advance and wishing you a blessed salmon. okay so here on the help desk let's tackle this one. Yes, so there's so much in this right, so the first thing I want to say is you're not alone in this experience, I think anyone who identifies with the archetype of the witch like in a very healing and empowering way. And that it's a journey, a climb of being more than the mundane and having these mystical experiences. Like if that's how you interpret the archetype of the witch, the space that you occupy, it's very different than being like a grandstander. Look, I'm the magician and I'm gonna manifest these things. And I'm going to be all out all over the place all the time, Uh, because you got to watch out archetypes can take over us right so you know to me the first thing I hear is that you have a really healthy relationship. With the very powerful force that is the archetype of the witch so congratulations for that like congratulations for understanding that there are hostile rooms and spaces and certainly online dating could be one of them. And you know, well said that when you say that you're a witch, it does lead to fetish, fetishization
1: from some people. Um, we'll have to edit
0: up the sneezing in the in the actual podcast version. What does we mean by fetishization? So it's that people have ideas about the archetype of the witch, really powerful ones, so they can see the witch as the hag, the crone, the evil one living in the cave, and so on. I find that very beautiful. Then they can fetishize it in terms of sexuality. I had someone tag me on these Facebook posts recently. This happens a lot um, and in this particular instance it was this collection of scantily clad witches very cartoonish um and they were wearing like a pumpkin string bikini and all of this hyper fetishization it was too much you know i understand like if that's how you want to express yourself that's you you do you but for me i don't want to be fetishized like that i want to be seen as a whole person, for me, I identify as a cisgendered woman. So I want to be seen as that. I want to be seen as a woman. And part of who I am, is my close affiliation with the witch. And that this is an important part of my identity. But it's not all that I am. I'm so much more. And, you know, again, that's why I called the podcast more than this, I am more than a witch. I am more than someone who writes and teaches about witchcraft and goddesses and mythology and plant medicine. I'm way more than that. And so, you know, to the one who wrote in this question, I would say, you know, I love seeing that, you know, you are more than this. You know, there are risks in certain spaces that you go in where it's not safe to say that you're a witch. And, you know, you're giving the consideration to Like, how do I tell this person I'm kind of interested in this person and how do I tell them? And when do you tell them? Why do you tell them? What are the conditions? Like, first of all, I want to say, like, not everyone deserves our truth. Whatever is at the center of your being, if it's witch or if it's another identity or whatever it is, not everyone deserves that. And
1: unlike certain identities that are always out in the open. Um,
0: Identifying as a witch is something that we can choose whether or
1: not people know about us. So when do you tell someone? Why do you tell someone? I think
0: it's a personal decision. And this is just my advice. You know, I haven't I gave up dating like a long time ago. But I did try a couple of online apps. And so I've actually had this experience of, for me, it's the double whammy of I'm a witch and a psychologist, and they all run out of the room, except for like you say, the ones who were perhaps very shadowy. um, And one or two brave souls who are kind of curious but the vast majority of potential dating partners
1: are intimidated um by
0: like being a strong woman who identifies as a witch and who is a psychologist like it's a lot it's a lot to ask anybody else to kind of be like oh that's cool um which is fine you know like it We all know what we can accept and what we can't accept in a potential dating partner. So if you really like this person and if you feel safe with this person and if there are some indications that this person
1: might be open to this piece of your truth, I would say consider doing it. You know if they don't seem open to esoteric or
0: outside of the mainstream spiritualities then i would say you just end the conversation and say thank you for your time sir or madam and you get on with your life if there is an openness there and this reminds me of a story that happened to me when i was on match.com like probably 12 years ago or so. I was chatting with this fellow. And um, actually on the phone, we were talking on the phone. And we were just talking about what we did for a living. And he was in the military, which is fine. I have nothing against, you know, um, the people who serve in the military. And he said, I'm a God fearing soldier. And something compelled me to automatically reply. I'm a goddess loving warrior. Thank you for your time, sir. <laughs> um, you know, because there was just no way there wasn't any ground there wasn't a crossroads. We couldn't intersect. So if you think there is a way that you the two of you are coming to a crossroads about who you are from the center of your being. I would say go for it perhaps mention it like in chat before you actually meet um and i would say if you are really hesitant to do it in chat before you meet up then you need to ask yourself is this actually a person i should keep talking to sometimes we're just lonely and we know it's not going anywhere and we're just basically passing the time nothing wrong with passing the time If you're just, if it's just someone you're passing the time with, don't give them pieces of yourself. Um, Unless, of course, you're like, I just need to do a dump and I'm just going to do a catharsis on this poor, unsuspecting individual because I know they won't accept it and I'm just going to do it knowing they won't accept it and then I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to be like, and here is who I am. And again, thank you, madam. It was lovely chatting with you. I wish you well. I don't believe we should continue to have these conversations. I would say definitely, I think if the person seems amenable, telling them before you meet them in person is a good idea. And I would like lead them to the discussion by asking questions about their spiritual beliefs and practices I would start the dialogue there like in general how do you view spirituality
1: in general is spirituality important to you do you meditate do you connect with nature do you ever use herbs for your health or do you use scent in your home? And have you ever sat around a fire and felt something ancient and true? Do you resonate with mythology or folk tales? And then you could maybe say,
0: do you believe that there is more to the world than the everyday? I would ask those questions to get the conversation going, you know, it's a conversation and you want to. Evaluate how safe this space is that you're occupying with this person. And if it's a text chat, you know, it's really easy to to go through these questions and, you know, just like, like, and judge the answers. They might ghost you, um, after the first or t- first question or two and then it's like well there's my answer um and then if you know all of the answers to these questions are kind of leading into the you know the direction then you could say like do you think that dreams can be about more than just like random neural firings or uh learning consolidation like do you think there's something more going on with dreams or have you ever felt that a loved one who was deceased was there with you or have you had any uncanny experiences? You know, lead them into the dialogue. Um, And then you might, you know, kind of start dropping the like the whopper questions like,
1: do you believe in like universal cosmic forces?
0: that some people call deities do you believe that there is this kind of consciousness that is embedded in the structure of the universe you could ask that and then if you like that answer then you could ask
1: do you believe that this consciousness has a feminine is at least partly fem equally
0: feminine to masculine i mean if you're a goddess lover it's a big question to kind of lead people to see, you know, to see where they're at and if the answer is favorable. And then you could say, all the things that I've just talked about are really central to my being. They are the way I express myself when I am in safe spaces. And I asked you all those questions to potentially see if I could be safe with you. I'm really impressed by your answers, and I am feeling safe with you. For me, all of the things I just brought up, and you you know you would answer, like if they answered the questions back to you and asked you questions and you would answer them. You know, and kind of when you get to this point in the discussion, you would just say, you know, so all of the things that we've just been chatting about, to me, that's how I experience who I am at my essence and the word that has the vibrancy for who I am at my essence is which and you could see this is like an hour-long conversation Um, if you go and look at like the dialectical behavior therapy workbooks that are available look for one that has structure on how to have difficult conversations, dbt is really phenomenal for coping skills. So look at having the difficult conversation, you can get worksheets and whatnot, probably on Pinterest, dbt conversation sheets. Um, And, you know, plan it in advance if you think this is important to you. Um, And, you know, if the questions I put out there don't work for you, make a list of questions to ask in advance and kind of have it there as your potential dating partner index you know because if someone isn't fundamentally at least open to the ideas the constructs the expressions of how you express which um you know then i think it's really super difficult to be in a relationship with them. Now, I know people who have relationships with partners who are 100% not into witchiness, natural spirituality, the goddess, um, and I think there are ways that it could work. However, I would say, being me, that I'm not interested in having that kind of I've had that relationship in the past, the The last serious relationship I was in when I decided, like, that's it for me in relationships, I'm happiest when I'm on my own, and I'm cool with that. Again, another thing that can be, you can get the the temperature in the room can change. It's like, oh, I'm a psychologist, I'm a witch, and, you know, I own property and two cars and all of this, and I don't need a man to do any of this. Thank you, sir. That can also get weird in certain spaces, especially around where I live um and and in my family of course um you know so so for me i would never do that again because i had this relationship with this person a good person you know in the heart and we ultimately broke up and we broke up and i remember we were talking in the garage and he said something like I think we just need to be more of who we really are and stop pretending. He's like, I want to be even more redneck. Like I'm a redneck and I don't like the way you try to control, like how redneck I am. And I was like, you know, you're right. You are a redneck. You are the guy who has the pictures of the naked women on sports cars in his garage. Like that's who you are. That's not acceptable to me. You know? So, I don't think there's a workaround for that, you know. And I am like, I mean, I never came out to him as a witch, but he knew I had some very mysterious practices and things that I did. He liked them when they seemed to work in his favor, uh, but he overall was kind of intimidated and freaked out by them. Although he thought they were sexy too. It's very weird. Fetishizing, it's a thing. Um, so in that moment. Like that, I just, it's so appreciative of him saying that because it's like, yes, I just need to be more me and focus on me and the things that bring value to my life. And you know what? I am not lonely. I don't want a partner. I'm not saying that you don't need a partner. I'm just saying like, when we are having these conversations like, do I come out of the broom closet? It's a good time to also do a little self-exploration and see if perhaps why you're feeling the need for a partner. If you genuinely want companionship, a regular sexual partner, or maybe you just want to get laid and you want a one-off, don't tell them unless you're going to use it to your advantage, right? Um, But why are you doing this? There's nothing wrong with just like, I'm just going to play up being a witch and let them fetishize me and I'm going to fetishize the hell out of it and we are going to have some wild sex. Nothing wrong with that, but if that's not what you want, then you need to be conscious about how you present yourself in the world and in the spaces that you occupy. So I hope this answer has been helpful. Again, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on Hecate's help desk, email them to info at keepingherkeys.com. Thanks so much for listening. Fly high, stay true,
1: and hail Hecatek.